God has been speaking to me about love this this week. And I have actually already had a meeting Wednesday in which I spoke to a uh, group of a dozen or so young people about love. And I want to build on that and see what the Lord will speak to us tonight. Let's just agree right now that even though it's a little bit sultry, we're going to rush along together. As Brother Kevin once shared, that word means there in Acts. Amen. And we're going to see God's will. Let's look at 1 Peter 1 and 22, if you don't mind. Thank you, Jesus, God, your anointing. Lord, your grace. Hallelujah. Open our eyes to see. Open our ears to hear. Open our hearts to receive and obey. God, we want to change. We're not there yet. We haven't arrived. Jesus, I need more of your love. We need more of your love. Send your love, oh God. Amen. Open the fountains of your love and pour it on us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen, Jesus. In verse 22, he says, this is 1 Peter 1, 22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. I don't want to skip over what he's saying. I want to get it. He's just described quite a process. He says, since in obedience to the truth, your hearts, your souls have been purified for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another. So the, the object of his statement is fervency as it relates to love. But he says this is possible because you've undergone a purification, a washing. And he says that the truth has done that purification. Which says to me that apart from the truth, whatever that truth may be, I am unable, I'm unable to sincerely love my brother or my sister. Love is hindered by a dirtiness of heart, by an unwashed heart, a heart that has not been scrubbed by truth. I want to know what is that truth that would liberate my love? The sister said it's the truth about who we really are. How does that pertain to love? Because there's a big blockage to love. What is the big blockage? Selfishness. Selfishness, Selfishness blocks love in the sense that we don't want to give it the time and the effort that it's worth. But there's something else that blocks love. Our perception of other people blocks love. An illusion or an assessment of what they deserve. So if the scrubbing of truth is the revelation of what I deserve, 
then can you see how it dismantles and moves out of the way the blockage that they don't deserve it, the love that I'm supposed to give? He indicates that there is some truth that has to come. I told him the other night, the truth that cleans our heart is simple. It's who God is and it's who you are. The truth of who God is and the truth of who you are. Jesus did not say in his heart, this guy is not worthy of my time. Jesus gave him time, and the man rejected what he was given. Jesus did not say in his heart, this guy is not my, he's not like me, so I'm not going to hang out with him. He came and showed love to the most unlovable. But we are like that. We're unlike Christ. We, we look at people and we say, they don't deserve my love. Because love is hard. Love is difficult. Is it true that they don't deserve your love? Because your love's garbage. They deserve Christ's love. Not because of what they've done, but because of what he's done. You have to give what Jesus has already suffered to release on their behalf through you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable. So he immediately combines love, he contrasts it with a fleeting or perishable substance. He says, love them fervently from the heart. And then he immediately says, for you haven't been born of temporary perishing things. Do you think it's possible that the Apostle Peter is alluding to the same truth the Apostle Paul so abundantly put forth in 1 Corinthians 13? What is his big statement in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8? Love never fails. It's not perishable. Amen? It's not perishable. You don't have it like radiant diamonds bursting inside you and then lose it over time. If you have the love that has been poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit, if your heart has been clean, scrubbed with the truth of who you are and what you deserve and who God is and what He deserves and the awareness of what you owe God in the way of serving your brothers on His behalf, then you don't, you don't have a fleeting temporary love. You don't have something that is faithful one day and unfaithful the next. You've got something that has staying power. Love them fervently from the heart. For what enables us to love them fervently from the heart? First, our hearts have been scrubbed with truth. Second, for you have been born again. As long as you're the center of your life, you can't love people fervently from the heart. Conversion, born again, a born again experience is necessary to Love someone fervently from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. He goes on, he says, all flesh is as grass and all its glory 
As the flower of the field, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. If your love was born of a whim, it would wither like the grass. But if your love is born of the begetting word of truth that brought you to repentance, then it ought to endure. And we know in the book of Revelations, the second chapter, we're told about a church. We read a letter to a church that had the right kind of love. And with time, they lost that love. They lost it. And I can only assume that the reason they lost it is because the purification of truth that reminded them of who they were and who God was, it started to lose its effect over time. And the old grime of self-righteousness started creeping in. And the old goo of sap of judgments started oozing in. And they were no longer clean and clear to say who I am and who God is. And I think I'm going to love again. You have lost your first love. And what was the remedy? Peter says here that the reason you can love fervently is because you've been born again. And Jesus writing to the church says you've lost your first love in Ephesus. And what was his remedy? Be zealous and repent. How many of us think of love in that category? That it is the fruit of repentance. That it is hindered by unrepentance. And that it can only be released when you have been born again. He says love fervently. And he says be zealous and repent. He says love fervently because you've been born again. He says be zealous and be born again again. Get back to where you were when you knew who you were and who God was. Now, the devil is a sponsor of a certain brand of so-called love. A kind of love that always disappoints and ever fails. Can we agree with that? But I want to know why is he so intent on destroying the agape love and unity that we must have as the people of God. Why does the devil hate our love? In John 13, Jesus tells them, I am going away, but God is love. And he is going away. However, he is leaving his essence, his substance, his power and reality with us. I am going away, and where I go you cannot come, but a new commandment I give unto thee, that you love one another just as I have loved you. It's as if love makes up for his absence. Or you could say love takes away his absence and brings him present. And he says, and this is how the world will know that you are my disciples. And elsewhere he says, this is how the world will know that God sent me. 
We want to bring people to God. We want to start new communities. We want to evangelize. We want to bring the gospel. But the greatest tool of evangelism is the love that we have for one another. If it's real, people will see and feel that, and they will want it. They will say, surely these are his disciples. I want to ask you, I just want to open that up a little bit. He says, by this the world will know that you are my disciples. What is it about the kind of love he's suggesting that absolutely presupposes discipleship in people's lives? Did you hear what I said? He didn't say by this they'll know that you've accepted me as your personal savior. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. A new commandment I give you, love. And if you do that, people will know you're my disciples. What is it about the kind of agape that he is talking about that absolutely convinces people that person has been discipled? What is it? The love that lays down its life, it does not spring from us. It pours in from above. There are kinds of love that spring from us, but the agape he describes does not spring from us. It pours from above. And it is utterly incompatible with our selfish nature our unregenerate nature. So even when we have been born again, <laughs> even when we have come to repentance, we, there has to be this discipleship. What is discipleship? It's holding you, reminding you, confronting you to help you be consistent with the commitment you made at repentance and at the born again experience of spirit and, and water so when you see someone who truly walks in love you can say in your heart that person has been discipled that person has been discipled that person has been confronted that person has been reminded that person has made mistakes and been rebuked that person has been discipled that the pideo of God's grace has come into that person's life. The grace of God that brings salvation. Amen. Jesus said, he who loves me keeps my commandments. And John said, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Amen. What is his big commandment? That you learn to love. And what kind of love? A kind that can only be produced by repentance, being born again, and being discipled. Are you seeing something that God is wanting to show you about love? Thank you, Jesus. Just pray with me for a second here. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Amen, Jesus. Amen, God. Amen. Let me read a couple more verses. The truth that releases love is the revelation of who you are and who God is. The revelation that you're not deserving of either anything, nor is your brother, but Christ is deserving of the love he needs you to show your brother. Does it, everybody follow that? Romans 12 and 7. 
He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without hypocrisy. So he introduces the gifts of the Spirit, and I've ministered on this going back to the 2007, okay? But I'm just going to give you a brief overview. He says that you must operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And as soon as he finishes talking about the gifts of the Spirit, he talks about prophecy, exhortation, service, teaching, preaching, all these different things. And then without taking a breath, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Can you get that? Can we agree that his implication is that if you're unwilling to move into the dimension of supernatural grace, by which alone your brother's needs may be loved and met, then you're a hypocrite. You say be warm and well-fed, but you won't yield to the prophecy that that brother needs that would change his life. You won't yield to the service that that sister needs that will make it, make her, help her survive. Do you follow me? So you see why he could list gifts of the Spirit and then follow it up without a breath by saying, let love be without hypocrisy. When Paul speaks of the gifts of the Spirit, amen, what does he say? How does he tie love and the gifts of the Spirit? It's the more excellent way. He says, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. I've ministered on this. He says, I don't want your God to be like the pagan's God, which was mute and ineffectual. Right? And he talks about all the ways that the Spirit moves through people. He says, through one, the working of this gift, but the same Lord. Through another, the working of this gift, but the same Spirit. Hallelujah. And then he finishes the whole thing up by saying, earnestly desire, but I show a more excellent way, not than the gifts, but than merely earnestly desiring. He says, love. And that's how he segues into 1 Corinthians 13, the much-loved love chapter. So you've got to be willing to put shoes on your love. You've got to be willing to put your claims, your feelings in action, in words, in efforts, however imperfect they may be. And that's what he's saying in both of these places. But let me get back here, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly agape, giving preference to one another in honor. Hallelujah. The word giving preference to one another in honor, it means outdo one another in showing honor to each other. I think he's trying to indicate the kind of attitude that keeps love flowing, don't you think? So he says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, but fervent in spirit and serving the Lord. So I want to ask you, what? It does Paul describe as fervent service to the Lord. What does he warn us not to be lagging in diligence concerning? A diligence of devotion. A diligence of honor. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, about loving one another about being devoted to one another. And this is how he says we're serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Sometimes God needs to tell us, rejoice 
in the hope that you have. Stop stomping on it and start rejoicing. It may not be the end all be all. It may not be what you're looking for. It may not be the reality yet, but it's a hope. Hope that is seen is not hope at all. For who hopes for what he already has, Paul says. But he tells us we better rejoice in just the hope that God would give us. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation or persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality. And there he finishes his thought. Paul tells us that we need to let love be without hypocrisy. And then he says, be diligent, be fervent, and serve the Lord by being devoted to one another and showing honor to each other and meeting each other's real needs. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God, help us to hear what you're saying to us tonight. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Love gives what's needed of God in the circumstance. Somebody can say to me, I asked for help, but I don't feel loved. Well, I should reflect on that and ask God if I'm loving. But I'll ask you, was the love of God pouring to that man, the rich young ruler, when Jesus told him to go do something? He came with a lack. He came with a need, and God said, go get rid of something. Is it our place to assess and judge whether our need is being met when God tells us to get rid of something, even though we came having lacked something? He came lacking something, and he said, go get rid of everything. Sometimes it doesn't come at the snap of our fingers. Sometimes he builds a relationship that will endure the test of time. He doesn't just give us a download in a blip of a moment. Was it love when Jesus told the man to go get rid of things, even though he came having need, having lacked something? What is love? Is it, is it speaking softly to one another? Well, let's try to do that. That can be love. What is love? Is it, is it, congratulating or complimenting each other? Is it flattering each other? Hopefully not flattery, but it can be the other two things, right? But what is love? It's giving people what they need, and all they ever need is God, the truth of God. That's all. Speaking the truth, but speaking the truth in love. Don't be children who get tossed around. When you see a brother tossed, you see a sister Tossed this way and that way. What is the antidote to the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune? The, the tossing. Amen. It's love, but speaking the truth in love. Grow up into him who is the head. James told us not to love in word and tongue, but in deed and in The truth of God is the most loving thing that can ever be given. It's not just the truth about the bad, it's the truth about the good. We need to hear it when someone's grateful. We need to say it, say it when someone's done well. We all need to hear that. And sometimes we have to hear, you're my son and I'm very unhappy with you. 
Because what, what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But when we get out of that place and we get back to doing God's will, we've got to hear him say, you're my son and I'm happy with you. Every single time God spoke from heaven to Jesus directly, he said, this is my son. In him I am well pleased. So we've got to hear the truth, not just what we've done wrong, but also when we've done right. He says in 1 John, John says, Whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. Is he talking about keeping a Bible on your mantle? No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about keeping God's word. Whenever he speaks to you about somebody, believing it, sharing it, keeping it, holding them to it. Can you think of a time when Jesus began to disciple some of his disciples into really loving? The beginning of love discipleship begins with the revelation that you don't really already have it. Well, it started with Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter, you're not who you think you are. So there was speaking the truth in love. And did Peter love him like he wanted to love him? No, he didn't. He went out and wept bitterly. <laughs> but he said, when you're converted, right? So if he's in need of agape, then three things have got to happen to him, don't they? He's got to know the truth about himself. He's got to confess the truth about... He's got to come to repentance and he's got to be born again so what happens to Peter he knows the truth about Jesus that's a given he doesn't know the truth about himself he hears words that he doesn't believe until he lives those words in the worst kind of betrayal and Jesus turns and looks at him as if the mere look could pierce him right through. And he wasn't saying, I told you so. He wasn't saying, you snob. He was saying, I knew this was coming. Remember the other thing I said, when you're converted. Because the Bible tells us how we get to repentance. God grants us repentance, doesn't he? They glorified God, seeing that he had granted the Gentiles repentance unto life. Doesn't God grant us repentance? And how does he do it according to Romans 2? It is the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. What is the kindness of God in this saga with Peter in his struggle to come to repentance? You don't know who you are. Okay, there's who you are. Okay, now you're weeping and you're broken. Okay, now let's come see. Do you know who you are? Do you agape? No, I do not. Let's make sure you really said that. Do you agape? No, I do not. So you're just saying you have affection. Lord, you know all things. But where is the kindness in this equation that is taking Peter by the hand and leading him out of the failure, out of the slump? The kindness can be seen as Jesus speaks to the man Peter's going to be. The kindness is the conviction 
of what God is going to do in this failure's life. The kindness is faith. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. And the kindness can be heard when he says, feed my lambs. Are you a failure? Yes, feed my lambs. Okay. Are you a failure? Yes, feed my lambs. Okay. It's like in the moment when he thinks he's least qualified, Christ is saying, I see where you're going to get to. I know that your faith is not ultimately going to fail. It's going to lead you out of this failure and into the place God has for you. That's the kindness of God when he talks to bones as if they're people. When he speaks to a coward as if he's a man. When he calls a barren couple as if they're a multitude of nations. When he speaks to those things that are not as though they were. And he says, if you'll just receive my word, something can be born inside of you. Amen. It'll give birth to an incorruptible seed, an incorruptible love, an imperishable, enduring never failing kind of love it's only the love of God that's going to see us through there are people who lost out with God and they think that they lost out because of doctrinal disagreements and they think that they lost out because they were mistreated and I dare say some of them were but they didn't lose out because of those things they lost out because their hearts were no longer scrubbed clean through obedience to the truth of who they were and who God was. They lost out because in forgetting who they were, they could no longer live in view of God's mercy and they lost their first love. People are going to fail you. There's no perfect person in the kingdom of God this side of heaven. If you're hanging your hopes on somebody's perfection, you're lying to yourself. They're going to fail you. They're going to blow it. But the question is, do you know who you are? Do you know who Christ is? And do you know what his sacrifice requires of you? It requires that you love one another. And if love endures, then we will not fail. Even though we fail in every way, we will not be failures. Love will drag us out of those failures and on to victory every single time. It is the perfect bond of peace, Paul said. Prophecies will fail and cease. Tongues will fail. Charity can fail. Gifts of the Spirit can fail. But love remains. Love remains. And if it remains, if you let it remain, you will never be a failure. And we will never be a failure. Thank you, Jesus. And if we have failed the test of love, let's not burn the test book. Let's not go try to edit the test book. And let's not despair. Let's merely let God show us that we have three stages, three steps to undergo. A reminder of who and what we are and who God is. A repentance and a renewal in the Holy Spirit that pours out God's love in our hearts. Peter and Judas both discovered their lack of love, don't you know? Don't you know they were going through similar things on the same day? Oh, 
I have betrayed innocent blood. Oh, oh, who can I talk to? Where can I go? Oh, God, oh, oh, oh. Here, take this gold. Just give me that field. Coiling up a rope. I gotta end this life. It's over. I'm over. Don't you know they were feeling similar things that same day? Peter went out and wept bitterly. Oh, God, I'm not who I thought I was. I blasphemed. I cursed. I'm such a coward. Oh, God. Oh, I'm so self-seeking. I wanted to say it. I wanted to confess it. But it wasn't in me. And even born-again, spirit-filled, Jesus-named, baptized Christians in Revelations had to undergo that revelation that Peter went before being converted. And so can we. But one remembers what he says, when you are converted. And says, God, I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I don't even want to pretend to be an apostle. I'm going to go back to fishing but if it be you, and I hear you calling to me, I'm going to come again. Because I, I, I just don't have a right to trample that grace underfoot. And the other says, he's not going to let me. One knows, get, discovers who he is and remembers who God is. And one discovers who he is, but forgets who God is. I don't want you to forget who God is. Amen. Sister Regina sent me this song today and it spoke so deeply to my heart. I wanted to read it to you. Sometimes on this journey, I get lost in my mistakes. What looks to me like weakness is a canvas for his strength. And my story isn't over. My story's just begun and failure won't define me because that's what my father's done. Yeah, failure won't define me because that's what my father does. Oh, lay your burdens down here in the father's house. Check your shame at the door because it ain't welcome anymore. Oh, you're in the father's house. Arrival's not the end game. The journey's where you are. You never wanted perfect. You just wanted my heart. And the story isn't over if the story isn't good. And failure's never final when the Father's in the room. And failure's never final when the Father's in the room. Oh, lay your burdens down, oh, here in the Father's house. Check your shame at the door, because it ain't welcome here anymore. You're in the Father's house. Prodigals come home, the helpless find a hope. Love is on the move when the Father's in the room. Prison doors fling wide, the dead come to life. Love is on the move when the Father's in the room. Miracles take place, the cynical find faith, and love is breaking through when the Father's in the room. The Jericho walls are quaking, strongholds now are shaking. Love is breaking through when the Father's in the room. Yes, love is breaking through when the Father's in the room. I tell you, he's here for us right now. Thank you, Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Like a lamb to the sky.
like a sheep before her shearer from the manger to the grave all for us his life he gave born in poverty died in cruelty suffered agony just for you and me tell me how much do i owe i'd like to repay Just give. Yeah. 